Thank you for listening to the podcast of Palmetto Baptist Church. We pray that as you listen to the following message, that it will encourage you to continue to connect, grow, and serve in your relationship with God and with others. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Genesis 50. Genesis chapter 50. Genesis chapter number 50. We'll begin reading with verse number 15, Genesis chapter 50. The title of the message is Forgive and Forget. It's a question mark. Forgive and Forget. We're in a series on forgiveness. We know, or at least we're told, in three different places in the Scriptures that when God forgives us, even though He is all-knowing, He has the capacity to forget the sin that he has forgiven us of. We talked about that the last time that uh, you and I were together. Uh, But while we know that God says he forgets, can we forget? That's the focus of this message. Genesis chapter 50, beginning with verse 15. When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead... They said, what if Joseph holds a grudge against us and pays us back for all the wrongs we did to him? So they sent word to Joseph. Did you notice they didn't go themselves, they sent word. It's safer that way, you know. They sent word to Joseph saying, your father left these instructions before he died. This is what you are to say to Joseph. I ask you to forgive your brothers the sins and the wrongs they committed in treating you so badly. Now please forgive the sins of the servants of the God of your father. When their message came to him, Joseph wept. His brothers then came and threw themselves down before him. We are your slaves, they said. But Joseph said to them, don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. So then don't be afraid. I will provide for you and your children. And he reassured them and spoke kindly to them. Let's pray. What a powerful passage of Scripture from your word, Lord. What a gracious response by Joseph to the acts of his brothers. And what a great action on the part of his brothers to come to the knowledge that they had done their brother wrong. And not only to know it themselves, but to acknowledge it and ask for forgiveness. There are a lot of tough decisions being made by the characters in this story. Lord, we know that we are to forgive. We know that you forgive, and because you forgive, we are too. Your word tells us that you have the capacity to forget. Is that what you want us to do? Help us to understand that a little bit better tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. So here's a question. Does forgiving someone require that we forget the offense they have committed 
against us. Is it possible to forgive and to forget? And does God require us to forget as well as to forgive? Uh, One of uh, the authors who has dealt with this a lot in recent years from a Christian standpoint has been Ken Sand. You can go to his website. He wrote a book called The Peacemaker. Uh, and it's a book about conflict management. And in that book, he deals a lot with forgiveness and reconciling with people. And he, on his website, he, he, he offers this case study. It really is, is uh, something that, that happened. He's changed the names, but let me just give it to you. Here it is. Rick could not forgive his wife's adultery. Even though Pam had given every evidence of repentance and had begged for his forgiveness, the offense stood between them like a towering wall. As a Christian, Rick knew that he should forgive Pam. So to appease his conscience, he told her, I forgive you, but I can never be close to you again. Did he forgive her? I forgive you, but I can never be close to you again. Would you say that's forgiveness? So forgive him, but not trust him. And that is sounds like what he's saying. Ken Sand was counseling with Rick and Pam, and... Ken Sand turned around and asked Rick this question. He says, Rick, imagine that you just had just confessed a very serious sin to God and God responded audibly so you could hear him saying this, I forgive you, Rick, but I can never be close to you again. How would you feel? Sand said that there was an awkward response and finally Rick replied, I guess I'd feel like God hadn't really forgiven me after all. There's no doubt that the Bible commands us to forgive those who have hurt us. There's no doubt about that. There are numerous scriptures commanding us to forgive one another. Matthew chapter 6, verse 14, Jesus says, For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 32, the Apostle Paul, Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. The Scripture also tells us that uh, we as Christians, when we harbor unforgiving an unforgiving spirit, we can actually reap bitterness and the loss of spiritual joy. In Hebrews chapter 12, Verses 14 and 15, the writer of Hebrews says, Make every effort to live in peace with everyone. That requires forgiveness. And to be holy. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. And see to it that no one falls short of the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up in you to cause trouble and defile many. So there's no doubt those are three passages of Scripture. We could come up with tons more in the, in the Scriptures that teach us we are to be people who forgive. That's to be one of the character traits of a child of God. 
The issue, though, in this message is not whether we are commanded to forgive. The issue is whether God expects us to forget as well as to forgive. Imagine uh, Joseph. You know the story. Joseph's brothers, because they were jealous of Joseph, uh, Joseph was his father's favorite. you got 12 sons, and the father shows great favoritism to one of them, Joseph. He, he purchases for him or makes for him this coat, this, this uh, multicolored, very nice coat. He gives it to Joseph. He doesn't give one to the rest of the, of the boys. And so Joseph is the prince's son. He's the favorite son. Hillary would call Joseph the same thing that she calls Zach, the golden child. And they hated him. They hated Joseph. And on top of that, to make matters worse, Joseph, he was a dreamer. He would have dreams. And his dreams always were such that they ended up making him the hero of the dream. Don't you hate people who are all the time dreaming? In all their dreams, they're always the hero. And he would always make himself the hero and he'd make his, his brothers and even his father and mother in his dreams bow down before him as if they were giving obeisance to Joseph. And you know, it's okay to have a dream like that, but if you're going to have a dream like that, don't tell anybody you're going to have that dream. But Joseph, he couldn't. He couldn't keep it secret. And so he'd have these dreams and then he'd go run off and tell his brothers. Well, what else did he expect? You do that kind of thing, you're going to be sold into slavery. I'm just going to tell you right now. And so he was sold into slavery by his brothers, sold to a merchant caravan on the way to Egypt. They killed an animal, sprinkled the blood all over that fine little coat that his daddy gave him, brought the coat back and made out like he'd been attacked by something. So his dad thought he was dead. And that merchant caravan took Joseph to Egypt and sold him to a man named Potiphar. And Joseph spends 13 years in Egypt, first as a slave in the house of Potiphar. And then he's the victim of a false accusation by Potter's wife. And the result of that is he's thrown into prison. And finally, toward the end of that 13 years, I won't go into the whole story, but you know the story. Joseph helps out the king of Egypt, the Pharaoh, and the Pharaoh lifts him up to a place of high authority in the land of Egypt and puts him over the food supply. You remember that? And about the time that he puts him over the food supply, a famine hits the land of the Middle East. And so Jacob, who's still up there grieving over that son, that favorite son, that golden child who supposedly got tore up by some animal or some violent terrorist or something. He sends the rest of his boys down to Egypt and says, we're going to starve up here if we don't do something. I hear that there's food in Egypt. Go down there and get us something and bring it back. And so they go down there, not knowing that their brother Joseph was the one who would be in charge of giving them the food. They didn't even recognize him, but he recognized them. Long story short, they end up going back up, getting Jacob and the whole family ups and moves to Beverly, I meant to Egypt. They move to Egypt and Joseph takes care of them. By the time you get to the verses we read in chapter 50, Jacob is an old man and then he dies. And as long as he's living, the rest of the brothers feel pretty safe. Jacob's not going to let... Joseph or the Egyptians, even though he favors Joseph, 
hurt the rest of the boys. I mean, blood is blood, and blood is thicker than Egyptian water. But then Jacob dies. And now the brothers are afraid that Jacob, that Joseph will take revenge. And so they send somebody to him. You know, your daddy, when he was alive, he wanted you to take care of these boys, Joseph. And he wanted you to forgive them and sends a messenger with all this. And Joseph weeps. And finally, the brothers come in there, fall at their knees. You read the scripture. And they said, we're willing to be your slaves. Please forgive us for what we've done. They ask him twice in that passage. Did you notice that? They're really serious about this thing. Can you imagine... If Joseph had said to his brothers, you know, hey, guys, I forgive you. You're forgiven. But I I can never hang out with you ever again. I can never reconcile with you. I forgive you, but I'm not going to reconcile with you or be close to you again. But that's not what Joseph said. Instead, the passage says that he told him, he says, don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is being done, the saving of many lives. So don't be afraid. I'll provide for you and I'll provide for your children. And he reassured them and he spoke kindly to them. How in the world could Joseph have forgiven these boys? They had written him off. For 13 years, they didn't give a rip about him. They lied to their father. How do you forgive someone who has hurt you so badly? Some things I think that are significant in Joseph's ability or his willingness to forgive his brothers, four things that I think are, we need to pay attention to. First of all is Joseph realized that no one is perfect. Joseph knew. He knew that while, yes, what his brothers had done was wrong, he lived long enough to know, look, although I didn't do what my brothers did, I am capable of it. I may not have committed a sin that so-and-so did down here, but let me tell you, the Bible teaches that in our sinful nature, we are capable of it. Joseph realized he wasn't perfect. Second, Joseph knew that only God has the right to withhold forgiveness. Did you hear that? Do I have the right? Somebody does something. If I do something to somebody and or or if somebody does something to me and they realize it's wrong and they come up and they they ask for forgiveness, they apologize. Do I have the right not to forgive them? Do I have the right? I mean, in America, I have by our laws the freedom not to forgive them. But by the laws of God, I don't have the right to withhold forgiveness. Do you realize that you and I don't? Joseph said this, verse 19, he says, don't be afraid. Do you think I'm in the place of God? I can't withhold forgiveness from you. I don't even have the right, according to the laws of God, to withhold forgiveness for you. That is only something that God himself has the right to do. I don't even have the right. You don't have the right. So Joseph knew that only God has that right. Third, Joseph had learned that even the evil acts of people are under the sovereign control of God. What does that mean? That even the evil acts of people are under the sovereign control of God. What that means is that God can take anything, no matter how terrible it is, and somehow 
He has the, the capability to turn it into something good. Joseph says, you meant this to harm me, but God was all the time working through it to bring about something good up to the, the, the rescuing and the saving of many, many souls just as we're experiencing right now. You know the New Testament counterpart to that, Romans chapter 8, verse 28, where the Apostle Paul says, We know that God works all things together for good to them who love him, who are the called according to his purpose. Joseph was able to forgive because he knew that he wasn't perfect, because he knew that only God had the full right to withhold forgiveness, and because he knew that God had used this evil act of his brothers to bring about something good. And how do you argue with that? Joseph's conclusion was that he couldn't. And then fourth, that is equally important, you and I all have experienced this, time had passed. Time had passed. The further we get away from what someone has done to us, I'm not saying that the pain disappears it all depends on how severe the pain was but I I think you and I can agree that the further we get away from the offense itself the easier it becomes over time to forgive Joseph had had 13 years first as a slave then as a prisoner now as a vice president he had 13 years to think through, to process through all that his brothers had done to him. And for that reason, he was able to forgive. Oh, wait a minute, wait a minute. But that's not the point of this message. Was he able to forget? We know he forgave. The evidence is clear there that he forgave. The question is, did he forget? What about forgiving and forgetting? When Joseph forgave his brothers, did he also forget what they had done? So let me say just a few things about forgiving and forgetting. First of all, there are times when forgetting an offense is not wise. There are times when forgetting an offense is not wise. Thomas Satz, a Hungarian psychiatrist, said this. He says, the stupid neither forgive nor forget. The naive forgive and forget he says, the wise forgive, but do not forget, he said. Philosopher Ken Taylor said, you should never forget the wrongs done to you. Why would you want to, he said. Well, while I would not go as far as to say that we should never forget the wrongs done to us, I think that we can say that we have to be careful what we do choose to at least try to forget. For instance, if you have someone who is a, 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 uh, a known habitual child abuser and they come out and they make amends and they offer what seems to be genuine forgiveness, yes, we might be able to forgive them. Some might not. Some might but would it be wise to forget what that person has done so as to enable him to repeat that abuse? I don't think so. There are times when forgetting would not be wise. Number two, there are other times when forgetting is simply not possible. 
In one sense, it is impossible to truly forget the sins that have been committed against us. We don't have a delete button up here. I have one on my computer. In fact, sometimes it it ends up deleting stuff that I didn't even intend for it to delete. I didn't do it. The computer did. We don't have a delete button. We cannot selectively delete events from our memory. And the more severe the offense, the less likely we can forget. Now, if the offense is something light, I mentioned last Sunday, if you steal my chewing gum, I'll probably forget that. But if you hurt one of my kids, I might be able to forgive. But boy, it's going to be tough to forget it. So there are times when forgetting is simply impossible. Number three, there are times when we can forgive to the point that we act as though the offense has not occurred. Think about that now. There are times when we can forgive to the point that we act as though the offense has not not occurred. Not that we wipe it out of our minds, but we can reconcile with the person to the point that if you saw us Relating to each other, you would not have any idea that such an offense had ever occurred. God knows, for instance, that we have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But when God forgives us, he treats us as if that sin had not occurred. I go back to Chris's song that he sang for us just a few moments ago. God has that ability to forgive and to forget. And we belong to him through faith in Christ. We are to forgive as he has forgiven us. And if we forgive someone, there are times, I can't honestly stand up before you and say that all times, but there are some times when we can somehow forgive that person, especially if they have apologized to us sincerely, we can forgive that person. And depending on the sincerity of the, uh, the severity of the, the offense and the sincerity of the repentance, we might be able to reconcile with them and treat them as though The offense never occurred. Finally, forgiveness does not mean deleting a memory. When we talk about forgetting and forgiving or forgiving and forgetting, it doesn't mean we delete a memory, but rather it means we replace what that memory means to us. That's the most important thing that I will say tonight right there. And and what that means is you need to chew on it. Forgiving and forgetting doesn't mean that we delete that memory from our minds. It means that we do what is necessary to replace what that memory means to us. I'm sure that on the day that those boys sold Joseph into slavery, he didn't look at that memory as a very good thing. But in time, he was able to take that horrendous act and with God's grace and God's help and time that passed, he was able to replace that memory with something, because he, with something else because he saw God working in that memory. One uh, psychologist said this, quote, Forgiveness does not involve a literal forgetting. Forgiveness involves remembering graciously. The forgiver remembers the true, though painful, parts, but without the embellishment of angry adjectives and adverbs that stir up contempt, unquote. 
Lewis Smedes is one of my favorite authors. He was a professor at Fuller Seminary out in California. Wrote a book called Forgive and Forget. And he said this. And I'll conclude with this. Forgiving does not erase the bitter past. A healed memory, a healed memory, is not a deleted memory. Instead, forgiving what we cannot forget creates a new way to remember. We change the memory of our past into a hope for the future. When an offense is severe, I don't know. I'm not asking you to agree with this now, but I don't know that we can forget it. I don't know that it can be erased and deleted forever. I don't know that. But I do know that in even the severest of offenses, if the right steps are taken, that pain of that memory can be turned into the outlook of hope. And that's what Joseph's story teaches us. It's not so much forgiving and deleting. It's forgiving and transforming that instance into something that God can and will use. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, someone said it right when they said forgiveness seems like a lovely idea until we have something to forgive. Forgiving is hard. Our natural impulse is not to forgive. And it's hard for us to believe that by refusing to forgive, that we harm ourselves worse than we harm the person we refuse to forgive. Although it is true, it's hard for us to embrace that because we want to hold on to that grudge. But Lord, show us that we do ourselves a huge favor when we move in the direction of forgiving. But Lord, help us to go beyond just that to the point of changing even the most negative circumstances of our lives, somehow, by your grace, into something hopeful. In Jesus' name.